Today's scripture reading is from 1 Chronicles 13, verses 5 through 14. So David assembled all Israel, from the Shehor River in Egypt to Lebohamas, to bring the Ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. David and all Israel went to Bala of Judah, Kiriath-Jerim, to bring up from there the Ark of God the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim, the Ark that is called by the name. They moved the Ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart, with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God, with songs and with harps, lyres, timbrels, cymbals, and trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark, so he died there before God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of God that day and asked, How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's a privilege to be with you today to introduce my dear friend, Bishop Joab Lahara. Bishop Joab comes to us this morning with an amazing leadership journey. God's hand has been on Bishop Joab and Suchitra over the span of their ministry. He is both the Bishop of the Emmanuel Conference and the founder and chancellor of Emmanuel University. Uh, our newest free Methodist educational institution in India. The Emmanuel Conference has over 1,200 churches, actually more churches than in the United States and Canada combined, uh, with over 100,000 members in those churches. Uh, Bishop Joab was trained as a journalist and actually left a lucrative career uh, to follow the call of God. Joab and his wife, Suchitra, sensed a, a, a call, a literal call from the Lord to leave that career and take up the, the idea of planting churches in the tribal areas of India, in the lowest of the low among the people of India. And God has blessed that model in an amazing way. And uh, this vision that God gave to Bishop Joab and, and Suchitra was to use the Bible to help people to learn to read and then naturally share the gospel with them. And as I referenced, this has seen the birth of over 1,200 churches. Uh, Bishop uh, Lahara comes to us uh, highly trained as a skilled leader, administrator, visionary, entrepreneur, and most importantly, man of God. So would you join me in welcoming Bishop Joab Lahara. 
Good morning. Bishop Matt Whitehead is my friend, so when he speaks in admiration, I understand that. And thank you so much. I'm also grateful to Dr. Um, Matt Poole for the invitation to speak at, is it Poole? Yep. Yeah, yes. Uh, for the invitation to be a part of this uh, church service this morning. And I am very grateful that you have given your pulpit to me for this day. Um, many people ask me, why are you in Seattle? I have many reasons. A primary reason was we had our Emmanuel University board meeting yesterday, the whole day, and we had the partners meeting in the nighttime at the dinner. And Emmanuel University, for Emmanuel University, Seattle has become like a hub point. You have the president and the chairman of the Emmanuel University, friends of Emmanuel University sitting right here, Mr. David Goodnight and his wife Shelley. We are very pleased that they came to hear us. And, 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 and more of our board members, uh, Mr. Dan Kurtz, Diane Kurtz, and Mr. Jeff Finley. They are here from the board of friends of Emmanuel University. And the second reason I came here is to share God's word at this church. I wrote to my friend, of, um, Dr. Matt Whitehead, I would be in Seattle and would there be an opportunity for me to go to some church? He always says yes to my request. I'm very grateful for that. As the scripture portion has been read to us, I would like to read the last verse of chapter 13 of First Chronicle. It says, she read it beautifully, thank you. It was so hard touching when she was reading. And the ark of God remained with the house of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Isn't that amazing? Let's pray. Father, we pray you will break your word to us. Spirit of God, brood over us on the congregation today. In Jesus' name, amen. One Sunday morning, a very shabby-looking old man entered a church just before the service. In his hand, he carried a worn-out hat and an equally worn-out Bible. The church he entered was in a very upscale and exclusive part of the city, maybe Seattle. Seattle. It was the largest and the most beautiful church he had ever seen in his life. The people of the congregation were all dressed up in expensive clothes and jewelry. As the old man took a seat, the others moved away from him. No one greeted him, no one spoke to him, nobody welcomed him. I'm sure it was not a free Methodist church. That morning, pastor gave a very polished sermon full of thoughts and challenges. After the service, as the old man was walking away from the church, at the door, the pastor met him. He approached him and said, gentlemen, when you come back to the next service on next Sunday morning, please ask the Lord what kind of a dress code the Lord wants you to follow to become a worshiper in our church. The old man says, sure, sir. I will ask the Lord about the dress attire, the attire that I would be needing when I come back to the church the next Sunday. 
The old villager left the church assuring the pastor that he would. The next Sunday, he showed up back again for the service wearing the same ragged clothes, dirty boots, and an old hat on his head. Once again, he was completely shunned, ignored by the church members. They were appalled by his appearance. The pastor approached the man again after the church service at the door, and he said, gentlemen, I think I told you to ask the Lord what kind of dress you'd wear when you come back for the service on next Sunday. The man said, sure, sir, I asked the Lord. And the pastor said, what did he tell you? He said, the Lord had no clue because he has never been in your church. (laughs) My dear friends, I believe, I think, this is the problem of the church today. If we do not have the church in our church service, that is not the church. If we do not have the Lord in our family, that is not a Christian family. If the Lord is not in our worship service, we are not celebrating the Lord. We are not having a church service. If God is not there in our church, we are wasting our time. Do you know why David was so interested, excited about getting back the Ark of the Covenant to the city of Jerusalem. The Ark of God in the Bible sometimes is known as the Covenant, Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of the Testimony. Everything that went into the making of the Ark was so meaningful. It was the most sacred piece of furniture in the tabernacle when people of Israel moved from the land of Egypt to the land of Canaan. This was like four feet long, two and a half feet wide, and two and a half feet height of the Ark of the Covenant. While Noah was making the Ark of Ark for the people to be saved, he made it with a gopher wood. But when God asked Moses to make the Ark of the Covenant, he said, make it of shittim wood. By the way, I did not ask the pastor how long I was going to preach today. And I think he said, like, midnight. (laughs) 20 minutes. (laughs) More. I have never seen a pastor like him. (laughs) It was also very interesting where the Ark of the Covenant was placed when people of Israel moved from Egypt to Israel. When they were moving from one camp to the other, the ark of God would go in front of the people and lead the people towards the land, promised land. When they encamped in an area, Moses said the ark of God should be in the midst of the people, center of the encampment. Isn't that interesting? When it comes to leading our life, God wants to be in the front. When it comes to having fellowship with us, God's want to be in the center of the church, center of the family, center of the community, center of the conference. That is why David said, I must bring back the Ark of the Covenant. You remember, when Saul became the king of Israel, he did not think about the Ark. The Ark had been outside Israel for about 24 years, 
No one bothered about it. No one wanted to bring back the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem, to the, into the midst of God's people. It was David's thought. I said, I cannot live without Ark of God because it is the presence of God. I cannot run the affairs of the kingdom without God's presence, without the ark of God being in the city of Jerusalem. That's why he took the trouble of going to the house of Aminadab, the priest, and get back the ark of the covenant. In today's world, David was a king. Maybe he would have driven a limousine car. He would say, put the ark of God into the back of the limousine. But it was not a limousine era or age, they made a bullock cart, perfect new bullock cart, and they went to the house of Aminadev, and then they placed it on the bullock cart, two young men sitting by the side of the ark, trying to protect the ark, and the oxen were driven to, uh, to take the ark, to take the cart, and suddenly we read in the scriptures that the oxen stumbled, tripped. The ark began to tilt and jerk and fall, and that was the time Uzzah, a young man, put his hand to the ark, and he had instant death. I tell my young people, suppose you are taking up your guitar to play in the worship service. If you're unholy, you drop die. Suppose I'm preaching from the pulpit. If I'm unholy, I drop and die. That would be great manifestation of God's presence. God was right there. Uzzah thought he was trying to help God and put his hand to the Ark of the Covenant and instant death. Whole assembly was disturbed. It says David was angry because Uzzah died. Then it says he was afraid of God. This is very important to us. Is there God's fear when calamity strikes? Is there God's fear when something happens in the family? Is there God's fear when something happens in the church? Is there God's fear when something happens to the community? He was afraid and he wanted to leave the ark there. Now you can imagine the coffin box of Uzzah I do not know it was the day of coffin box or there was just, they were just carrying the dead body. And the Ark of the Covenant is here and the whole of the elders of Israel, hundreds of them present there. They go to the house of a man called Obed-Edom and knock on his door. Obed-Edom responds to the door and there, lo and behold, King David standing in front of the door. And hundreds of elders of Israel, people, those who came to celebrate God's presence, going back to Jerusalem, they were all there in front of the house of Obed-Edom. Now think about this. Obed-Edom comes up and says, the dead body of Uzzah and the Ark of the Covenant. And David says, Mr. Obed-Edom, you want to leave the house, the Ark of the Covenant in your house. I'm sure Mrs. Uh, David Poole will, um, Matt Poole will say, say no to David. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want the Ark of the Covenant. Uzzah died, my children will die, you will die, I will die because this is a dangerous entity. But this man, Obed-Edom knew 
the presence of God. He said, come on in, David. Bring your ark inside. Ark of God was placed in the house of Obed-Edom. There was no special platform. There was no special holy of holies place. It was just right there in the house, maybe front house. They kept it there. And every day, Obed-Edom would worship God. Obed-Edom would take his Torah and read from the scriptures. And Obed-Edom began to show obedience to the presence of God. And then that's how it says, God blessed Obed-Edom three months when it was in the house of Obed-Edom. He was driving a, riding a rickety bicycle, three months. He's now driving, what's the costliest car here? Something. Audi? Or what's the costliest car? Mercedes? Now, Obedidum is driving a Mercedes today. People ask him, how come, Obedidum, you had three months back a rickety bicycle? He says, God of Israel, bless me. His son was failing in the examination three times, school final, and then he never passed. During those three months, God helped his son to pass in the examination. He's in the pre-med now. His daughter was not getting an alliance like the, nobody was coming to marry her. And then within three months, there were 50 proposals. <laughs> one is a doctor, one is an engineer, one is a lawyer, one is an entrepreneur, one is a businessman, you know, many kinds. And he had to choose out of 50 just one single son-in-law for him. They were a blessed family. They were renting a building three months back. Today he owns a great building, great, all mortgages paid. And it is a testimony. If somebody asked Obed-Edom, he would say, what happened to you? How did you become so prosperous? How did you become so well off? He would say, God of Israel, bless me. My friends, the same thing which caused the death of Uzzah is bringing blessing for Israel. Isn't it a difference? Because he loved and worshiped God's presence in his house. When you prosper, when you become uh, close to God, when you begin to display God's quality, godliness, it is your neighbor who is envious. And people began to envy this man. How can, he, how can he drive such a nice car? How can he live in such a big house? How can his daughter and sons, they were all settled in life? We must change this equation now. What do you do? It is because of the, he says, it is with the Ark of the Covenant. That is the object of blessing. We should remove the very object of blessing for Obedidim. So went to, they went to King David and said, your majesty, you know what has happened? We thought Ark of God is a curse for the family, for the people of Israel. Now what has happened? See what has happened to the house and the family of Obedidim. He is prospering. He is becoming richer. He is becoming more popular. We need to get back the Ark of the Covenant. And this is where David began to realize that Ark of God is, a, is not a dangerous object. It is there to bless us. 
presence of God is not dangerous. He is there to bless us. The name of Jesus is not dangerous. He is there to bless us. If you know about the Ark of the Covenant, I don't want to go into details of that. David was very interested because it had the presence of God. If you, if you, if you, if you have the knowledge of that, I'm sure you have. The lid was there made of pure gold and on the lid you have, oh, that's called the mercy seat. And then you have the cherubim, one against the other. And from between the cherubim, God spoke to Moses. That is the place, this mercy seat. God would talk to, God, Moses would talk to God as his own friend from between the cherubim, from the Ark of the Covenant. That is why David was so interested, so excited about bringing back God's presence with whom he can talk, with whom he can, he can have fellowship, with whom he can, he can have the inspiration, with whom he can rule the kingdom. And if you remove the lid, mercy seat, you have there the uh, Ten Commandments. It talks about God's eternal word to mankind. That is why David is so interested in the Ark of the Covenant. This is what, this is what is my sustenance. Word of God is my life. Word is God, my supply line. Therefore, I cannot live without this Word of God. I do not know about the Free Methodists in USA, but I know the history. We are from the holiness movement. Our doctrine is holy. I know many Christians, they have no time to read God's word sitting at home. They have no time to spend time with the Lord that God can speak to them from his holy word. But this man was interested. He wanted to bring back God's word into the city of Jerusalem. It's an eternal word. I think Peter one day said, it's Peter who said one day, Lord, you are the word of eternal life. Where shall he go? I, I hope that every free Methodist asks this question. You are the word of eternal life. Where shall I go? And David asked that question. You are the word of eternal life, Lord. Where should I go? My life is dry. My life will famish without the Ark of the Covenant in my kingdom. Then if you open the lid, you also have a golden jar and the manna there. Remember the story of the children of Israel when they were passing through the wilderness, God rained manna from them. He became Jehovah Jireh, God, every day. That's why I tell my tribal believers that you don't have to remain in this tribalness. You don't have to remain in your poverty of tri tribal, tribal tradition. God is great God. He wants to transform you. When God wants to transform you, he transforms your entire life. Yesterday we were meditating resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul wanted to know it is not just the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection from poverty. Resurrection from insult, resurrection from reproaches, resurrection from ignominy of life. And David wanted to 
experienced this in his life. He said, I want this manna, the bread from heaven. I cannot live without it. And I want to, I want to invite this God who provides Jehovah Jireh. You know, if you open your fridge, there is everything there in your house. You don't, do you need a Jehovah Jireh? I wonder sometimes if, if when, you, when, you, when you open your fridge, you have food, and when you, when you write a check, there is bank balance. Why do you need God? Think about David. David had everything with him. He had whole kingdom behind him. I don't think he needed money from God. I don't think he needed food from God. But still, he says, I cannot live without God's word and his manna. I want God to be my, my provider, my Jehovah Jireh. That's why I need the Ark of the Covenant to go to the city of Jerusalem. Not only me, all my millions of people in Israel must have this God, Jehovah Jireh. And then there you, there you also see the Aaron's rod in the Ark of the Covenant, the third element. Remember the story when God wanted Moses to choose the leaders from out of the elders of Israel? He said, there was a conflict. Sons of Korah said, why should God speak only to Moses? Why should God uh, appoint, appoint Aaron, his brother, as the priest? And then why not? It is, we should have said, we could have said in our BOA, we could have said, this is nepotism. Aaron becomes the priest and Moses becomes the prophet. Miriam becomes the prophetess. This is nepotism. God break this nepotism. But God said, if you want to be the leader, you don't become the leader. I make the leader. You want to know how I make the leader? Bring your staffs. Bring branches, everyone from every one tribe, one from every tribe. And from Aaron's tribe, for Aaron, there was one tribe, one, one branch there. He put all these dry branches near the Ark of the Covenant. The next day, Moses wants to go and see what has happened to those dry branches. You see that Aaron's branch is blossoming. Then it began to produce fruit of almond. It makes you wiser, they say. Doctors say, if you eat almond, it makes you wiser. <laughs> and there is an almond there. And then God says, this is it. He is the leader. God appoints leaders, my friends. If God appoints leader, please, please, reduce your questions for him. I think we need to ha accept God's authority. Of course, if a man is going, if a man of God is going astray, tomorrow I am going astray, you can always correct me, but as long as God's seal of authority is on your leaders, we need to accept them and walk with them, support them, and make the movement forward. This is what exactly David was trying to do. He brought, he was trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant for these reasons. I want to have God Jehovah Jireh in my, in my kingdom. I want to have the word of eternal life in the kingdom. I want to have the seal of approval of God's leadership in my kingdom. So he wanted to go back after hearing that God was blessing Obed-Edom. 
He wanted to go back again to the house of Obedidim and bring back the ark. So now the elders of Israel, this time no limousine car, no Mercedes. This time consecrated priest of God. Isn't that something to think about? God is not driven by our programs. God is not driven by our technology. God is not driven by our fleshly efforts. God is driven by his spirit. We are driven by the spirit of God. And then he wants to come back to that place and say, I want to bring the ark of God. Now select men who are the priests. Let them be consecrated. Consecration priests are needed today so that the presence of God could move forward. The presence of God can manifest himself amongst us. Who do you need? Priests. God-appointed priests. He said, David said, consecrate yourself because tomorrow you are going to... Now think about this. I, I cry when I think about this. Tomorrow you are going to bear the weight of God's glory. Consecrate yourself because tomorrow is the day you are going to bear God's weight of glory. I mean, I'll give everything for it. I would trade anything for it that I bear on my shoulder the weight of God's glory. This consecrated priest go there they forgot the history sometimes. We also forget our history. They forgot the history, how the river Jordan had been divided when people of Israel were moving from uh, Egypt to uh, Israel, to, to, to the land of, land of promise. There the, the, the priest of God bore the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. We call them pole bearers at the funeral time but the pole bearers for God's kingdom. And as soon as it touched the waters of Jordan, it parted. What a miracle. Because of God's men consecrated for God's service. Again, we see when the walls of Jericho were broken down, crumbled down, it was the priests of God who bore the Ark of the Covenant, walked in front of the hundreds of thousands of people of Israel. They went seven times around the wall and a shout the wall came down so it has gotten many miracles for the people of Israel history is forgotten I was at the uh, Marston uh, Historical Center in Indianapolis this week and I went to that place where there is a pulpit a very small very small, smaller than this a pulpit that B.T. Roberts used to use on his campaigns. It's a mobile, mobile pulpit. And I opened that, his glasses are there, and then there's a Bible there. When I looked at that, something hit me. Something hit me. This man is so committed to the Word of God and that to preach God's Word that he made a mobile pulpit to go everywhere he went. He put it at the back of the truck, maybe, or back of his vehicle. He went for campaigns. Where are the bishops today that can become mobile? 
take their pulpits with them, with them, with them make an outreach and the tent meeting and the, what all they did to bring a revival in the church. I think a future bishop is sitting here. I, I hope he will not hold it against me. <laughs> Where are the bishops today doing the tent meetings? We are too busy in our board meetings, too busy in our structures. We need to have a pulpit that can be taken with us and preach God's word everywhere we can. That's why he wanted the tabernacle to go with him. Now he comes back with the bearers of the, uh, of the covenant and the priests, four priests, bear it. Before that, they come to the house of Obedidim. They knock on the door and say, Obedidim, Obedidim. He opens the door and lo and behold, you have King David in front of his house again. Uh, one more dead body? No. This time he has come to take away the Ark of the Covenant. He says, Obed, thank you very much for keeping the Ark in your house for three months. I, I can make a check payment to you, whatever you want. No, I want to take back the Ark of the Covenant. Oh my God. He, he, he might have knelt down. His whole life sources being drained out of him. He wants, now he realizes he cannot live without the Ark of the Covenant. My friends, there must be a day, a time, when we must say sincerely to God, Lord, I cannot live without your presence. I just cannot live without your presence. And this is what he did. David, your majesty, you cannot take it away from me. Now his wife, who said, say no to David, now he's saying, please ask King David not to take away the, the ark from a house. But today he is totally prepared and he allowed it to be taken to Jerusalem. The, the priest bore it and then there was sacrifice, there was singing, there was praise, there was celebration and then the ark went to the city of Jerusalem. Now, what happened to Obedidim? If you read the preceding chapters, until the 16th chapter, it's a very interesting thing about Obedidim. He said there is about, from Obedidim's house to Jerusalem, it's about 40 kilometers. He could, he, could, he could go there. He couldn't go there because those days it would take um, three, four days to walk. Even if they walk 10 miles a day, four days. It's not easy to go there. So he is totally dejected. Presence of God is gone from me. How can I go back to in the, into the close proximity of God's presence? And then he sees one day in Washington Post that King David is looking for some singers to sing in the tabernacle of God. And, and guess what? Ovid Ibn is the first one to sign up for. He said, I want to be a singer. David said, you are not a good singer. Doesn't matter, your majesty. I want to be there in the choir. He signs up to become a singer. He wants to be a singer because he wants to be close to the house of God and to the, and to the Ark of the Covenant. Maybe after a few months, David realized that he's not a good singer. He wanted to put him as a door, doorkeeper. <laughs> There was, this, there was an announcement again. We need doorkeepers for the house of God. He signs up. I am not a good singer, but I can become a doorkeeper. So he becomes a doorkeeper in the next, in the next phase. So he can 
live in close proximity of the Ark of the Covenant. Maybe he was not keeping the door properly. The doorkeeper's position is very important, right? He can, you cannot look at the Ark of the Covenant and watch the door. Look at the Ark of the Covenant. Every opportunity he gets, he wants to be closer to the Ark of the Covenant. And David noticed this man is not doing his job properly, so he made him a gatekeeper. Moved away from the door, and he says, David, make me anything you like. Make me your servant. Ask me to sweep the floor. Ask him to carry the mud. I want to remain in close proximity of the Ark of the Covenant. Wherever God's presence is, I want to do anything. Anything. You want me to clean up that restroom? I will do it. You know, in your culture, it's not a big thing. But in my culture, it's a big thing. (laughs) They will not ask me to clean the toilet because I'm a bishop. It's a culture. I think David had the same culture. Israelites had the same culture. And he is asking him to change his change his responsibilities every three months. But Obed-Edom was faithful. He said, I will do anything in the house of God. I tell my superintendents, I tell my pastors to be a sweeper in the house of God. You You need the same amount of anointing that a preacher needs. Anything you do in the house of God, you want to be a singer, you want to be a, a, somebody who is playing the instrument, you want to be a witness, you want to be a welcome person. Anything you do in the house of God, you need to have the fullness of the Spirit of God. This is what he realized. Obedidum, put me anywhere, David. I will live a spiritual life. Do you, remember, do you know that he impacted 62 of his family members to come to full-time God's ministry. I have, I have in my 38 years of ministry life, I have seen hundreds and thousands of pastors. It has become very difficult for pastors' children to take up pastoral responsibility because they have seen the suffering of a pastor. I'm not talking about the U.S. pastor. I'm talking about the Indian pastors. I'm talking about the tribal pastors. I'm talking about the, about the village pastors who do not have proper salary, who do not have a bike to ride, who do not have a proper house to stay. And then whatever offering comes from the church in, in, in forms of vegetable rice, they survive with that. So many of pastors' children have seen very hard life of his father, parents. They don't want to become a pastor. A very fine young man after his, after his MSc, Master of Science in Mathematics, a very bright child. He came to me one day to my office and said, Uncle, he calls me Uncle. I'm Uncle for many and, and Father also for many others. And then he comes to me and says, Uncle, I want to uh, have three months of service in the mission. He's a pastor's son. His, his father is a good friend of mine. I said, why John three months? I need a person to help me. You can stay here. He says, uncle, I don't want to be a servant of God. His father has has nine children. 
and they have seen enough of poverty in the home. I want to work in the government or some corporate offices and, and support my family. Give me just three months of time in the mission. I'm making some adjustments. I am raising, my dear friends, um, a generation of workers. We have, we have seminaries. We have, we have portable Bible schools. We have training programs. So our children learn to love God. Our children learn to serve God. The God who is Jehovah Jireh, the God who is eternal life, the God who can appoint leaders, he is the one who is amongst us. And we need to bring this God into our home, into our children's life. And this Obed-Edom trained 62 of his family members to join God's service in the tabernacle of the Lord. This morning, I wanted to take this presence of God back home into your family, into your workplaces, into your community, into your factory, into your businesses, into your schools, colleges, into your missions. We need God's presence in our work, in our lives today. May I pray for you. Gracious God, our loving Father, we thank you for your gracious presence given to us because you wanted to live among us. Lord, we pray that you will help us to love you, love your presence, love your word, love your mission. I pray for the pastors and the elders and the superintendent and the men and women, brothers and sisters in this congregation that you will give them a love for your presence and for your word that you may continue to advance the work of the kingdom through them. In Jesus' precious, very precious name, we ask this prayer. Amen.